Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor. <clears throat> I'm Sarah Century. Sorry, I was just taking a drink of beer. And, um, <clears throat> <clears throat> what an intro. All right. Um, I'm Sarah Century. It's nice to meet everybody. Today we have a very special guest. Oh, that's me. I'm the special guest. My name <laughs> is Thuit Nguyen. I am very Vietnamese. Uh, you can call me Tiet Wen. We just had a very long discussion about uh, my name and why I say it two different ways. When I was really young, I decided to pronounce my name phonetically uh, because it was easier, because it was sort of explaining to people how to say my name was just too much engagement with strangers, and I just didn't want that. Uh, so I sort of opted to do it a little easier. But now that I'm older and the discussion of sort of uh, pronouncing names correctly and sort of, uh, I think now that's sort of like in the sphere, I feel like I should try to explain more. Or maybe I'm just sort of, I've just been thinking too much about the fact that I just let people say my name wrong all the time, even though I'm very comfortable <laughs> with it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, no, but you know, definitely yes, right? Like I get that it seems like it's something that I would probably think about constantly as well. Right. Cause I, uh, I, I don't mind being called to yet. I think it's very fun. Uh, I think it's real cute. I'm real used to it. Uh, it's very easy on everybody. Um, but there's a part of me that dies a little bit every time because I'm like, oh, that's like, but like not really how you say it. But it does make me very excited when I meet other Vietnamese people who say my name correctly to me. That's a mm-hmm. that's a different kind of thrill that I cannot get anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you because you were the manager of a band for a very long time, and you have a book out about this. Yes. Uh, yes, I tour managed this band, Dear Tech, for a long time, um, actually up until very recently. Um, and I did uh, write a real short kind of tour diary book. It was, there was a tour diary at the beginning of it, and then some personal essays just about being on the road with this band for the, like the first two years um, that I was with them. Yes. Who put that book out? Uh, I did, actually. I just just self-published this book. I had a little press going for a minute, which I no longer have. Um, And so that was just me with the band, (laughs) I should say. Like, I didn't, like, fly by (laughs) night, like, write a story about them. (laughs) We will help you figure out what to add to what you need to, information you got to get across. That is what we're here for. (laughs) Can you, uh, can you still get this book? Uh, no, it's actually all sold out. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That's yeah, amazing. I, thank you. I feel really good about it. Um, and it's like, I feel like I've gotten a lot of great feedback from it. And it's, um, the band really loved it. Um, it's called, 
uh, Nothing Without Providence. Um, and it is, it's something that I'm really proud that I did. And it is sort of too bad that you can't get it anymore. But also, you know what? You should have been there when it was available. <laughs> That's not my That's fault. That's on you, audience. <laughs> um <laughs> I love that. A whole different approach to book sales. <laughs> Fuck you. It's gone. You cannot have it. It was here at a time, and you should have been there. Suck it. <laughs> yes. Well, obviously it worked because <laughs> they all sold out. Um, so also you do another thing uh, currently, which you can find very easily, which is a podcast where you talk about horror films. Yes, I am one of two hosts on Bunk 237, ah, horror movie podcast. It is me and my friend Robin, and we just gab about horror movies. It is very, very fun. There's a lot of laughter. We're very silly, and we are, we just love horror movies so much, so much. And Sarah, you were recently on, and that is coming out in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure actually by the time this goes live, because when is this going live, Essie? <laughs> So it's actually going to run at the end of this month, April 28th. Oh, is it? Oh, the yeah. 28th? Oh, my God. So it will be just literally the day before, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Great timing. I'm really glad that this all worked out. <laughs> Someone was, um. We, we just had an episode come out, but we had recorded it before Sarah had guessed it on the other person's podcast. <laughs> And so someone was like, I got really confused. And I was like, listen, this podcast is exactly like comics. We do not care about continuity. Good luck. <laughs> you know, like, what? It, who knows? You could enter here, enter there. Who knows what we're talking about? I barely mm -hmm. know. So so you're you're no longer managing the band. So what is, you know, is, is the podcast the main focus? Are you doing more writing? What's going on for you right now? I uh, I actually I still work in music. Um, I still tour with bands, um, except for currently not right now. Right now, uh, yeah. <laughs> right now is sort of a dead space for touring. Um, so I'm actually I'm. It feels weird because I'm kind of just waiting around until live shows come back so I can go back to work. I still do a lot of production for live shows, which is my main job. Uh, which is uh, kind of just a glorified babysitter and I just order food for people is what I tell is what I say. <laughs> it's a lot of logistics and setting up things backstage and a lot of planning and kind of dealing with tour buses and catering and green rooms, etc. That sounds fun and sometimes stressful. <laughs> it is both. Yes. It is yes. uh extremely fun. I do get to like travel the world and hang out with my friends and that mm -hmm. rules but it is my job in particular is honestly like very stressful I'm working 20 out of 24 hours out of the day I sort of have to you know I take care of everyone as part of my job it's sort of like my job is to sort of like handle everything so that everyone else can do their jobs so just sort of making sure everyone's like fed and slept and they know where they're going and you know everything that they need is where they need it to be like that's my job and so it is sort of a lot of taking care of adults. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so which, important though. I'm like, I am, need so much care. Yeah, I am unfortunately like really good at it. <laughs> like just yeah. uh, really good at remembering stuff for you. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of like don't mm -hmm. forget the thing before you go on stage, even though you you do the same thing every day, but somehow you forgot like your guitar. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. That's me. That's me, right behind the scenes. 
I love that. My therapist told me that she she gets frustrated that people think of adults as different than children when really we're just babies who got really tall. And I think that that connects to your job. (laughs) I want you to know that that absolutely connects with my job. (laughs) I work with a lot of musicians and like, God bless them, but wow. (laughs) Like, just, they are, yeah, real. (laughs) There's so helpless sometimes with real <laughs> basic shit but i think it's sort of like you know the idea it's like oh if you're really good at this thing like say like writing songs maybe you're not great at remembering where you left your phone you know mm-hmm. um and so that's but that's why i have a job this reminds me of me and se <laughs> because i am bad at time <laughs> and schedules and se is a virgo rising and so they <laughs> Are way I was more say, on very top of anxious. It. Very yes. anxious. I mean, Virgo <laughs> rising, same difference. Like, <laughs> I'm bringing that to therapy next time I talk to my therapist. Right, it's not right. me. It's Virgo rising. <laughs> like, excuse me. What are you talking about? I don't know anything about zodiac really or like horoscopes and stuff. But Sarah tells me a lot of things, so now I just use what I know as a weapon. And I'm just <laughs> like, I can't do that. I'm a Taurus, and someone's mm-hmm. like, "Excuse me," and I'm like, "No, that's just facts. These are called facts." It's I'm just sorry, how that's hard it is. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we're super pumped because we invited you on the show, and you were like, "Yes, I'm in." Now I want to talk about these two films, and I'm super <laughs> pumped by the films you chose. The first one is Let the Right One In from 2008. It's a it's it's noted as like a horror romance. I want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> then there's also I Care a Lot, which is a brand new 2021 release from Netflix. So I'm I'm pumped. Where do you want to start? I mean, I'm I can't wait. I'm like, ah, let's talk about it. <laughs> What I was going to say is that whenever you brought this up, it wasn't necessarily as let's do a double feature. (laughs) It was just you being like, I like Let the Right One In. And also, I just watched I Care A Lot. And I was like, oh, we should just do a double feature. And you were like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because they're two very different movies, right? And so after a while, I thought about it, though. And I was just like, oh, it's totally just about queer villains. That's like what we're talking about, right? Is like complicated, weird queer villains. That's the connecting theme, I guess. Yes, that is the exact summation of what happened. Um, <laughs> you, well, it was funny because when you asked me to come on, I had also I had also been like, well, I don't know if I know enough about comics. Like, I don't know if I'm enough of a comics fan. And you're like, oh, that's fine. We can just talk about movies. And then later when I thought about it, I was like, oh, but I guess like, I don't know. Like, I really like Chris Ware and like, I read most <laughs> of The Walking Dead and I've seen like uh, I've read all of Blade of the Immortal, all like thirty something books of that, <laughs> and watched both watched like the animated series twice, and saw the live action thing, and and I just like kept in my head like thinking of every comic book I've ever read, <laughs> and I was like, oh wait, I guess I guess I could have suggested that, but that's what I'm hearing because... is we need to have you back. <laughs> yeah. That's all I just like mm, doesn't sound like a comic fan to me. <laughs> just because you read all these comics doesn't mean that you're some kind of comic head. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I have a whole shelf of, and I was like, oh, bitch planet. And I was like, I have a whole shelf of comics. I don't know why I said that to begin with, but. We should have you back on to talk about bitch planet. That would be oh, really fuck fun. Yeah. We talked about it, but we just did it as like a short review. So. Oh, I would love to. Cause I just started reading it. Cause someone recommended it to me. Mm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. fun, fun, fun. Okay. We'll have to do that. But I was 
similar I'm very excited about both these movies and then I also like while when especially when you were talking about like complicated queer villains I was like and in sort of researching and thinking about these two movies I did start seeing a lot of parallels or started making parallels in my brain about it and I was like actually this is perfect <laughs> because the the way that there are two very complicated villains with two different endings and sort of the feelings of both of like it's hard when someone when I when a villain that you like <laughs> dies mm-hmm. um and we can kind of we can kind of get to the endings of both of them later but do you guys want to start with I care a lot because I think that was the one I saw most recently yeah sure. absolutely how would you describe I care a lot Essie I'm like, what's the quick and dirty? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> well, like, Marla Grayson. Because it's like almost two different films. Like you kind of get almost, well, it's actually, you know, uh, the first act is is what you see when you see the, the trailer for it. So you've got this badass, gorgeous, blonde, high femme who is taking care of, quote, unquote, uh, folks who are elderly and no longer capable of taking care of themselves. But it is sinister in that it's all a fucking grift. Everyone, at least that we see on screen that is one of her wards, she's like a guardianship person, is you know, someone who's been manipulated and she's worked with a doctor to make them seem ill. And then she's, you know, the state has been like, okay, here, now you have control of all their finances. And uh, it actually opens with a court case where a uh, a man who will be important later uh, is yelling at her in the courtroom about like, you won't let me see my mom. And she's like, you attacked a bunch of the guards. And, and it's so fascinating because it's almost... The film's really cleverly put together, right? Because you're seeing things from two directions at once and you're seeing the way a really good puppeteer can manipulate people. And that is essentially what the main character is. And I cannot remember her name for the life Marla of me. Marla Grayson played, and uh, Rosamund Pike is the person who plays her. I can remember yes. because I am in love <laughs> with her. And uh, I'm sad to say it because she's truly awful. That's something that I liked about the movie, though, right? Is, is that mm-hmm. she's a terrible person. And the movie has these moments of kind of pushing the audience towards sympathizing with her. But, like, the whole time, she they tell us who she is, like, in the beginning. And, like, through the movie, I feel like there's moments where I'm just like, maybe she's going to turn this all around. Like, maybe she's, I mean, she's so beautiful. How can she be evil? She's so <laughs> yeah. amazing. I do, I love her so much. But also, I know that she's terrible. She's terrible, Yeah. And it's like, I watched the trailer and immediately I was like, that's a movie I'm going to watch. Absolutely. So from watching the trailer, like you already get the sense that she's a bad person. But even in the first like, you know, 10 minutes, the the opening scene in that court case and the the man confronts her outside and the way that she handles him is the, is the way that I wish I could be all the time, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. she's like such a like calm, collected bitch. And she is just like when she sort of denigrates him about sort of like, you know, you're just mad because I'm not a man. And these sort of aggressive things that she's saying in a really pointed way shows like, one, it's like so badass, you know? And I, but what sucks is like in that first scene watching it, I already knew she was an evil person. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, don't make me like this evil person. But I think I really like her. Yeah. She's so beautiful and so amazing. Well, and I think that's a very clever way of critiquing the form of feminism the sort of like girl boss feminism that marla ascribes to right and like 
she, you know, when we hear her voice over in the beginning, she's like, there are no good people. I've been poor. Being poor sucks. So I'm going to be rich. And you just hear in the background, money. It's not actually there, but you can like feel yourself. <laughs> money. You know, and like it's it's such a high gloss film. And she's like you said, she's like such a badass. She dresses awesome. She got a haircut. You're like, oh, she had a cool <laughs> office. She got a hot girlfriend. You know, she is like living that life. And she's a fucking monster. Yes. And that is like, it 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 should cause cognitive dissonance for us, right? Like we should be a smart enough audience that we're like, this is terrible. <laughs> Why do I love her? I want her to win, but yes. she's terrible. And yes. then like her antagonist, one of her primary antagonists, played brilliantly by Peter Dinklage. <gasps> love so Peter good. Dinklage. He just nailed that role. He, uh, you know, is a sort of mobster of some kind, and it's not totally clear. Yeah, she does name him at the end, but by then I was too high to remember names. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I need to smoke some weed to be on the level with this movie. And and so then, you know, you're like, oh, I want him to get his mom out of this, like, swindler's hands. And then it's like, oh, wait, he's a fucking terrible person who's actively trafficking women. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, what the fuck, this movie? Yeah, and <laughs> everyone is a evil. terrible person, too. Yeah, that's the thing. There's nobody good here, because it's like even, I believe her the character name is Jennifer, even the person who is just like the elderly person who is being taken advantage of is a bad person. The guy in the beginning, even if something bad happened to him, and even if he's trying to see his mom, he's still a raging misogynist, right? Like, there's... Even Fran, who, like, I love, is just going to keep supporting Marla, you know? So I think that that was part of it, right, is is that every person is a bad person in this movie. Yeah, no one was redeemable. No one even had a moment of, like, oh, maybe this is a bad thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And they also very specifically made Marla evil in a way that is, like, not even, like, questionably evil. Not, like, a both sides kind of thing. Preying on the elderly is awful. Like, there's not... that's not like a thing that you can massage to be like well i don't know you know that's like oh no she's like evil evil and that is yeah they put that on every single character and it's it it, like it puts it puts you at a sort of crossroads where you're like you want to root for somebody you think (laughs) like but who are we rooting for you know but i did i guess i did sort of find myself Rooting for Marla, but also acknowledging that she could not make it to the end of this movie. You know, <laughs> did you guys think that like when you, like, as as the movie was going, did you think she was going to survive? For me, I thought that it was basically just it, it's totally, you know, classic movie like the woman who is unrepentant and bad has to die at the end. It's the same as all of those old Betty Davis movies, right? Whenever yes. she was like the gangster mall and like all of that stuff. Um, younger, young, young, early career Betty Davis and how she was always kind of like a femme fatale, but like kind of a like the proto-feminist as well. And a lot of those characters being queer coded as well, I think was something that was interesting about this one where she's just out and, you know, she's evil, but it's like not because she's gay, which is very <laughs> different than like the message that you get a lot of the time 
whenever you're talking about the old, you know, femme fatale in like a noir movie where you're just like, this lady hates men, which makes you think that maybe she's gay, right? But right, in the right, old right. movie, she never was. In this movie, she is. And it kind of made it better for me. But also, yeah, they totally turn it into a morality tale by the end of it. Right. And that to me is a thing where it's like, yeah, I knew that they couldn't. But I wish that they would just let her live in some ways. I kind of get annoyed by like there always being like morality <laughs> tied to everything where they're like, no, you have to learn a lesson from this movie because you know what? In real life, Marla is still at the top of her career. We have Marlas in the world. They are still succeeding and they will live really long lives. <laughs> yeah, I read a review about this that pointed out or sort of discussed how why is it, you know, and I think this is a question all the time. It's like, why does the queer character always have to die? We we have evil, straight white men, Dexter, the Joker, con- who live at the end of their series or live at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. just sort of like quietly go away. And I struggled with that in a sense where I was like, well, I mean, I did. I can't. I did kind of want her to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I did want her to die. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But. It, it it always sort of, I don't know, it, I think it always hits me a little bit when, when say, a, a queer character or a character of color is evil. I'm always like, I like that, I, you know, I like that turn. I like that bit. But it also always makes me feel like, oh, why do they have to be evil? Or when they, or when these characters die, that always hits me just in a little bit of a way. Even if I want them to die, I, I always feel some sort of empathy of like, oh, but why, why that? character specifically yeah i yeah. think sarah said this a couple times and i completely agree with her i just think people overestimate like creators the power of killing off a character like mm-hmm. i think they they think that that like many of us and I, i'm a creator think that that's going to give sort of like an emotional payoff or an emotional connection with the film or or you know co- comic what have you that will make them feel really strongly about it but i'm kind of like you know it's happened like game of thrones happened like i I feel like it was a a big moment of like upping the ante of like any motherfucker can die like anybody anybody could just die and so it's like okay yeah that's called life like i don't i don't get it like (laughs) so that's kind of where i land with it like i don't actually feel very i saw someone who was like it's bury your gaze and i was like Mm. I, uh, <laughs> she's uh, evil evil though <laughs> like, and that's the thing is like i'm like i don't evil. think that being gay makes you not evil <laughs> yeah i don't think you get to play that card and i think she would i think marla's that bitch right like marla would play the feminism card the the being yeah. queer card time yeah, and time and time again and 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 I think she does it in a if, an interesting way. It's not the way that oh, everyone would play it. You know, she does it as sort of like a I'm I'm a I'm a hard bitch and you can't break me because I've been this my whole life. And that's that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I just kind of felt like uh there's a million different outcomes. Here's when I knew they were gonna kill her. Uh, when she made it through, well, I knew before I watched the movie because I read that article. <laughs> um, but when, <laughs> I, I was like, I like to, I like spoilers. I'm like a monster that way. I'm like, I love to know what's going to happen in something because then I'm like, ooh, it's like peeking behind the curtain. Like, when did they decide? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I thought that maybe she might die when uh, Peter Dinklage's character kidnaps her and then uh, has his men kill her. And then she doesn't die. And I was like, 
damn, I kind of love that. Like, I kind of love that this. She's so good, right? When she comes spiked, back, right? you're like, just like, oh my God. Such you a good majestic. adversary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Her and, and like friend. that he like likes her, mm-hmm, you know, friend. is what he ends up coming to. Like he doesn't like her, but he's like, I respect you, you know, at the end, which was like mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, that but is that cool. was kind of when I was like, once he made that that offer to her, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Like can't let like he's fine. Like we don't see him die, right? Like he's allowed to keep the big business and have the he's trafficking women and that's fine. And he's yeah. allowed to, you know, so on and such forth. But a woman, a gay woman, like she must die. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like both right. ways about it. It's it yeah, I I I also feel I think both ways about it. Cause it and it's now that you're saying that, I did think about the you know, I think who else died in the movie? Just the doctor, Dr. Karen, and then Dr. Karen. Yeah, who was also just uh, immediate, like, inherently evil, right? Just yeah. like, oh, you're a bad doctor. Even if you're played by Alicia Witt, you're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, don't try and pull a quick one on me, you hottie. Yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not paying uh, attention to that. <laughs> yeah, that's the same with every character yeah. in this movie, though, where you're like, stop trying to trick me with your beauty. <laughs> I think, like, a couple henchmen die. Like, I think, oh yeah, you know, right. the guy who's driving the taxi, I think he dies. Oh, right. And then okay. I think the two guys who so, try like, to kill her. Minor characters? Like, one of them. Yeah, like, but, like, minor characters. Right. Not, I don't think any of them have names. Like, right. He's definitely it's, the only main character that dies. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but it was like, Peter Dinklage got to live because mm-hmm. uh because he's quiet, I would just like I just thought of that. It's like I mean, part of Marla, part of Marla's thing is that she's also very boisterous. She's very like upfront, very boisterous. She likes the attention. She likes you know she's going on these uh, these like interviews, and these television shows. You know, yes. she's really really out there. And I think that was and I don't know. And that's not part of why she had to die, but certainly contributed to her death. Being very like in the public eye and being very aggressive about being in the in the public eye in that way, or the appearance of being in the public eye, you know, definitely, definitely. I felt for I I felt for um her girlfriend. I was like really sad for her girlfriend. I love end. her friend Who's, again. Not like a good character, right? She's enabling all of this. She's actually literally helping so her, you though. know. But oh, I didn't want her to hold her dying partner. That made me sad. I was glad that Fran lived. Yeah, Fran's going to have a long and happy life, hopefully. But Marla can't have one. And (laughs) I don't know. I definitely heard people because people always every time there's like a gay villain, I feel like somebody comes at me with evil lesbian trope or something. And I'm just like, well, speaking as an evil lesbian, like I don't know. You know, I just don't think I feel like now there's like a there's more good gay people in things than there were in like the 60s like back whenever it was like all villains yeah i think it's okay for there still to be villains right that's yeah yeah i i still want that sort of like diversity in a character do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i don't you know i don't need everyone to be evil i don't need everyone to be good i want yeah to see the pressure right yeah the pressure of being like oh all the lesbians have to be good now (laughs) right yeah totally yeah well i mean i've met some evil lesbians before (laughs) You know who I think did the best evil queer women was actually the TV show Killjoys, which is from Canada. They had a couple of murder girlfriends who were just like 
so they did not fucking care man manipulating this motherfucker making this person get this person pregnant it was actually amazing and what am i doing writing it down right yeah, now exactly. <laughs> because we <laughs> yeah, love like evil lesbians that. that's oh. the thing like, it's so damn. fun it's so fun and i but i do think you're i think you're right like so i was trying to think of an example because my favorite thing is when the villain and the hero, for lack of a better term, have a, a, a identities in common. So I like when it's like, like Bitch Planet is a great example, right? Like women are oppressing women. That's like part of what's happening there. Yes, it's under the guise of, you know, toxic masculinity, patriarchy, etc. But like women are are part of the process of, you know, disciplining, imprisoning other women. And I think that is always very interesting because then you start to get into like these intercommunity conversations. But yeah, I think when it's like the bad, the bad person, and I'm using scare quotes, I always do that when I'm on the pod. I'm like, I'm using scare quotes. You can't see my hands. <laughs> you know, I think that the bad person, so to speak, is is if they're the only queer character, I'm bummed. If they're the only, you know, character of color, I'm bummed. The reason this worked for me, the reason I care a lot worked for me was, holy shit, the production is through the roof. It is just a very beautifully made film. Mm-hmm. They choose their colors in every room really well. So I just, I felt like as like a cinephile, I was just like eating candy of like the best kind watching it. I was just like, yes! And then, um, you know, no one's good. Like like you were saying, Sarah, even Jennifer in this situation is is absolutely a bad person. And so mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more willing to be like, all right, fine, like... The, the, the queer person's terrible. All right, fine. You're going to kill her. Like, I don't, I wouldn't make those choices necessarily, but, you know. Yeah. Like Sarah said, I don't need a moral at the end of everything that I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. Like, right. I'm not going to go be Marla. But I'm also no. like, maybe they <laughs> legally had to have her die because they didn't want people out there, like, trying this grift on people. Uh, right. Uh, right. I did like that, you know, cinematically, definitely agreeing with what you're saying beautiful colors like Mm -hmm. uh i watched it twice and the second time i really just sort of took in all the visuals but there's a lot of like zoom kind of close-up shots of people's faces and just looking at everyone's eye color i noticed it was like really strong eye contact which i think is also part of just marla's whole kind of personality is like strong eye contact Mm because she's like not letting you fucking get away with anything but i also noticed the sort of the very movie stuff in it that sort of lets you lets you understand that this is in a different world, such as the briefcase full of cash, which is like such a fake movie thing, you know, or like the fact <laughs> that like one of one of the things is like the bag full of diamonds, which is such another, which just seems like such a fictional mafia thing, you know, right? Like, ooh, I have a bag full of diamonds. It's like, who? Like, oh, it's Ocean's a, Eleven. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is so <laughs> fun. I mean? Yeah, and so and I like that. I like those elements that sort of. That remind me that I'm watching a movie. And even like the grift is like a little bit impossible. Like it's not, it is definitely like. It's too clean. Everything works too easily, right? I don't like that like, uh, you know what you just made me realize is like I really hate that the judge is a black man that they're duping. I'm like, that's, that's not a good call. Why is your only black person like helping facilitate this? I don't like that. But you make a good point that actually I think Judge Lomax is the only nice person, <laughs> but unintentionally yeah. he just doesn't know stuff. Yeah. 
Well, and then it gives you the person who's doing things with the best of intentions who is still ruining lives every single day, oh, right? So, so right. Like, there is something about that. I wouldn't disagree, though, honestly. And so, I don't know. To me, that was kind of how I was reading it. I did think that that was a fairly interesting character. But yeah, it is kind of, this person is just so charming that no matter how smart you are, you will never... Never <laughs> like get one over right, on Marla like, Grayson. Yeah. I fucking meet Marla in the street and I know exactly who she is. I meet that bitch in the wild and I'm like, you're my enemy. I know exactly who you are. You know, like I'm not gonna I would just follow you her. You would like fall like, in love with her. I would be like, where who are we gonna kill? Do you wanna do you want me to kill somebody? She's I'll your Pied Piper. You're just I'll like, turn it, I'll literally turn into Garth from Wayne's world whenever it's like Kim Basinger. He's a dead man with like the gun. That's me. <laughs> sadly sadly isn't that fran though because i think because fran, fran fran is in love with marla mm-hmm. because of her power because yeah. of sort of because of the way she presents herself and like how much of a badass she is you know what i mean i think i think fran thrives on that just as much and is there to enable this stuff right? there's a small part sort of i think early on Especially after Dr. Karen dies, when Fran is like, hey, we maybe we should stop this. You know, like, just like, stop, yeah. yeah, take the money and let's go. And Marla's the one that pushes it. Won't do to it. that yeah. point. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Fran later relents not that hard. She's just like, oh, OK, yeah, let's just let's let's fucking do this. And you can kind of see that relationship between the two of them, you know. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, too, that you can see Fran because when Marla shows up and like literally saves her life, who among us wouldn't be like completely in love with this person who like did everything for you? But then it's like the one thing she didn't do for you was make this not happen. Right. She still used Fran as collateral damage. Yeah, that's wild. But I know how Fran is looking at it because we've (laughs) all dated people who were terrible. And then it's just like you see all only the parts that you want to see and I was just like wow this is one of the most you know upsettingly relatable (laughs) characters but also is just an amazing character I thought that she was one of the best parts in the movie yeah she was great and part of their relationship as we get to see is they clearly have a bangerang sex life oh my god oh god yeah and and who among us hasn't been with someone because they fucked you so good. And you're like, God damn it. I don't even like you that much. But fuck. This no. sex is so good. I cannot. That's all of my relationships. And I, <laughs> I cannot even like. <laughs> I just want to give you a hug. <laughs> I cannot even tell it's you. Like that scene with them on the stairs is <gasps> seared into my mind. I will never be able to forget it. It will haunt my dreams forever. Because <laughs> they're so beautiful. They're it's just so both the most beautiful couple I've ever seen. Yeah, right? very, very glossy, beautiful couple, which also like, and I know, I know this is just like a Hollywood thing, but sometimes when they're impossibly, an, an impossibly beautiful couple, I'm like, that's not, I can't have that. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> like, I can't. Do you, even get them out of here. Yeah, get out of here. That's too much. That is too much. Uh, but I'm overselling it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah, I mean they're both so stunningly gorgeous, like absolutely so stunning. Just and I think gloss me? is the word. I think you got Very the word glossy. right with gloss. Like the whole yeah. film is gloss, and the whole 
the whole her whole personality is gloss, right? Like she's con- like with um Marla, she's constantly, you know, putting on a show for people and then doing something mm-hmm. else they're not looking at, you know, slight very sleight of hand, very very magician. Right. Mm-hmm. I love movies made like this. They're just so clever and I don't know if Americans are like smart enough for this movie which like <laughs> I don't mean is like to insult our intelligence but like sometimes we're like oh I'll just eat the corn syrup and it's like don't eat the corn syrup <laughs> and like or if you do eat the corn syrup like don't don't like think it's good for you like it's okay to eat the corn syrup but you need to know it's corn syrup right like I don't know I'm getting in a food thing but eat other things sometimes too yes not just corn syrup, maybe. Exactly. I just feel like it's it's uh it's so cleverly done that it makes you root for bad people. And if you don't examine rooting for bad people, <laughs> it's easy to get into a morally gray place. And I feel like I know just too many people who are about like making money. Yeah. That that would you know see something like this and and. Uh, I hope still be disturbed because I think they do make everything disturbing enough, right? Like if her victims had been someone we were less sympathetic to, it would be harder. But like it being the elderly, that makes it like pretty clear. Like you're like, this person's like a trash can fire. Like Mm -hmm. this is not, this is not good. But yeah, I don't know. I was watching it going like, I can't believe I'm rooting for her. Like, I want her to get out of this car that's in this lake so bad. Like, I want her to get out and go kill those guys. And what is that? Why am I rooting for her? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because they keep setting her up. And I think they do this many times throughout the film. They set her up on these one-on-one where it's like her and some sort of like evil kind of counterpart. And she wins almost every time. Right. The very first scene when she's talking to the courtroom guy um, later, when she's talking to Dean, the um, the lawyer, the sort of uh, the other sort of evil lawyer, you know, oh. when they're in the office and he's trying to convince her to, like, take the money or try to, you know, to let Jennifer Peterson go. And so there's that. And then there's the scene where she's Chris Messina. With, what a fucking actor. He's so good in it. I, I love have such him a thing for it. him. I can't even help myself. I'm just he's like that man. Fantastic in it. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you listening? Give me a call. Uh, call Chris. Chris. He's like, excuse me? The costuming also was fantastic for every character. For him, playing the sort of like, you just his suit, the watch that he was wearing, a little bit like little sleazy lawyer guy. Mm -hmm. God, so cool. So cool. But what they do with Marla is they keep setting her up in these like one-on-one sort of matches. She keeps winning until, and even, I guess even when, you know, when they... Uh, trying to drown her in the car she keeps winning and I think that's why we keep rooting for her right because I think we always <laughs> like to think that if we're in these sorts of situations we always want to like you know we want to be able to be that smart and that quick and that like on top of it <laughs> yeah and then I also did you guys notice in the facility uh there's the scene and it's in the background but the uh the older folks like the sort of extras in the scene they're playing Mortal Kombat on the big screen did you guys notice that yes <laughs> I didn't know that. But I forgot. That makes me so happy. I thought that was so great because I was like, oh, that was such a fun little nod to everything that's going on. Again, this sort of one on one sort of Marla versus each sort of like each evil person. <laughs> and I was like, she's oh, going through that's... the gauntlet, like the tournament. I yes, love it. She is going through the tournament. And I like, that was such a, like, I didn't notice that uh, until the second watch. And I was like, oh, that is very, very fun. Very, very fun <laughs> and very, very smart. 
I do think there's a lot of things like that in the movie. Another one that I caught that I thought was like, you know, it works because they, they delivered it just well enough. But when she calls the guy who runs the nursing home or the, the residential facility and he's like, oh, hey, Marla, have you ever heard of the Milgram experiment? And she's like, I don't have fucking time to talk to you. <laughs> and those moments remind me of like when I was studying film and you're you're kind of like trying to find, especially when you're like a, like in college and you're, you're like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> look how smart I can be. Did that work? Uh, it reminded me of that kind of moment where it's like, wow, like that's partially, it can be kind of clunky dialogue, but I kind of liked it. I thought it worked. And bringing in that element, if if for those of us who maybe are less familiar with the Milgram experiment, which I believe is based at Yale, and it is the study where a participant is told to shock someone if they don't do the like they're watching someone through a window the participant and they're shocking someone if they don't do what they're told to do right the person who they're shocking is actually an actor they're not connected to anything that's shocking them and then the observer is watching the person who's doing the shocking not the person being shocked and and people were willing to just give people lethal doses of electricity because that's what they were told to do it started like right after the uh, the Eichmann in Jerusalem trial, and it, it was partially that's part of why the creator, which is Stanley Milgram, came up with the ideas. He's like, "Why are people evil?" And I think that this it's such a fascinating thing to bring into the film because I don't think there's any one to one. The way that like with Mortal Kombat, there's like a very clear one to one, but it, it does <laughs> yeah. talk about like which I love. I'm like obsessed with that. I'm like I can't wait to go watch it again. <laughs> Um, but it does sort of highlight the way that we are so we are so cold to other people's pain if mm-hmm. we think we're doing the right thing in literally any definition of the term, right? Marla um, thinks she's doing the right thing because she's out for her, and she thinks that's the way to survive. And it's like, that is not make that the right thing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the film's full of, like, layers of just, like, uh, philosophy and 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 you know just trying to push against like what is human nature and what does it mean if we're all bad right like that's Marla's argument she does a voiceover at the beginning at the end where she's like everyone's bad don't tell me no one's bad she is an unreliable narrator let me start by saying <laughs> that um, but you really do start to understand her and I think that that is creepy right because it's kind of an, like an insight into all of us like we're kind of bastards as humans you know it's like <laughs> oh no that's true i would also like to note though that the milgram experiment has been deeply questioned by yes. new research and so it was all men in it there's a bunch of flaws in the milgram experiment. there's a lot of flaws in it and then you get kind of the same effect of something like the bystander effect where it's like well that was bullshit like the story that it's based on of kitty genovese is not necessarily what happened right right yeah. so i would say that it does make perfect sense that that specific character said those words to Marla Exactly. I would also just like to make a note of the fact that Marla's cynical worldview falls apart with almost any pressure whatsoever. Exactly. So, exactly. Yes. And and that's that was like the thing I was dancing around, Sarah. So I think you're you're totally correct. The I'm, other thing that was like a super tiny moment that I wanted to see what you both thought, and maybe I'm, you know, reaching, but there's this moment where Peter Dinklage is torturing her and he's like, I know where your mother is and I'm gonna kill her. Right. And she's like, 
Please be my shit. guest. I hate that fucking sociopath. The fact that she called her mom that was interesting because it was definitely just like, damn, like, A, I don't even know if it's like bravado, you know, like it's hard to tell mm-hmm. because yeah. obviously she doesn't want to give this guy an inch anyway. Right. So maybe she does care, but also we do assume that she's alienated from her mother, right? Yes. And her having a tumultuous, shitty relationship with her mom might explain a lot of things. <laughs> um, but also I loved that they didn't give her that room because she yep. doesn't deserve it. We don't need exactly. to know. Like, she's a bad person. If they had pushed it to that place, I would have been like, this is a little much you guys like yeah exactly i did notice like we don't have a lot of exposition or backstory on marla like at least like sort of how she grew up she you know she mentions that she was poor used to be poor so you can sort of you know take what you want from that from her background growing up and you know that she doesn't like her mother i don't know i never got the sense that she was maybe covering you know about the sort of mother thing right when she said it i like i believe the things that she says and when she says, like, that she doesn't give a shit about that fucking sociopath, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that's something to unpack later. Right. And those are the only things that we really know about her, right? She sort of had maybe some sort of, not necessarily like a rough childhood, but uh, an alienating or maybe a childhood that where she felt a little othered or a little alienated. I'm sure we'll get a Disney film going into her backstory. <laughs> yeah. So we can all be looking forward to that. Right? Yeah. But I also love <laughs> the idea that I love in the movie this sort of uh, varying degrees of motherhood. You know, like there's sort mm. of like Marla's mother, she doesn't like, apparently a sociopath. Uh, whereas Peter Dinklage's character has obviously a very strong uh, bond with his mother. And like, and his mother also like, you know, comes off a little innocent in the beginning, but then she has that moment where she like almost strangles or she like strangles Marla. And I like that sort of, that twist there. It also plays into the idea that it's like, oh, everyone's evil, even the elderly. <laughs> yeah. Because like, there's a sense that it's sort of like, oh, being a mobster's mother, you're also probably a badass. It seems to be in the lineage, like a, a part of their family. And I thought that was an interesting thing because I feel like, I like the diversity of mothers, I guess, because it always seems like mothers are held up in so many films as sort of like, the reason why people are evil is because of their mothers or the why right. the reason why people are good is because of their mothers. And I like that p- people having different relationships with their mothers in this film, they still ended up really evil either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that too. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey! 
Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. I hope you're enjoying the show. We're enjoying the time that we spend with you. We have made a Patreon. There is more episodes on it. You can listen to all of the episodes on it if you subscribe at any level. You could do $2. You could do $10. You could do $20. We've had a few who did $20, listener. And while we don't expect that from everybody... If you wanted to give us $20 a month, that'd be chill. And you could also give us two, or you could literally give us none. Go ahead and check out the Patreon anyway, because there's a ton of free episodes. We love it when you support the show because it means that we can keep making the show. And that's always really nice. But also, just check it out. Go listen to our free cage match or the Ghost Rider Corner, or some of SE's comic reviews of webcomics. Many things. Also, I mean, didn't we just do a whole episode about Amalgam Comics? We've done a ton of things. You can listen to so much of it for free. So go check out the Patreon if you've run out of episodes in your regular feed, which some people have. I've heard. Go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell the whole thing out. You can't search us. We're 18 plus because we say fuck a lot. Speaking of films with interesting portrayals of parenting, should we talk about Let the Right One In? Yes. Oh my God. So you had not seen this before? I had not seen this before. Oh God, I love this movie so much. I love this movie. So much. I love this movie. So Let the Right One In is a Swedish film, like we said at the beginning, from 2008. It is described as a romantic horror film. Again, I want to get into that. I don't know that I agree or disagree, but I just want to talk about it. And it's basically a film about a 12-year-old boy who is being just bullied, frankly, tortured by his uh, classmates. And he's like a very, you know, very pale, very small not particularly masculine young boy. And then a new girl moves into his uh, housing area and they become friends. They meet at night and he doesn't think anything of that until he does uh, (laughs) because she's a vampire, (laughs) which is great. I loved it. (laughs) So when did you first see this? Did you see it when it came out? I did see it around the time it came out. I believe I was working at a movie theater at the time when it came out. And also, I just love vampire movies. Like, if there's some cool vampire movie or even a bad vampire movie, I will go and see it. So I did see it when it came out. Definitely was immediately blown away. Because I think in this time period when it came out, what, 2008? was definitely, like, Twilight-era vampire movies, you know? Or, like, teen vampires that 
were in school for some reason. So when this came out, I remember being like, oh, great. Like we're we're back to like cool, dark, sort of weird, uncomfortable vampire movies. And then I really followed it. I never read the book, but I have read a lot about the book. And then I remember the remake a few years later. But yeah, I've definitely been a big, big fan of this one uh, since it came out. There's something about it being Swedish, which makes it not like creepier, but the way you picture Sweden, you know, sort of like beautiful, idyllic, everything sort of really functional and nicely shaped. And then it's like, but it's also like very cold and wintry. I love that contrast of the setting of all of this snow and also the idea of Ellie not feeling the cold is such a fucking cool little detail or the way she says it she says something was like I guess I forgot or something she's like she's just she's so old she's like does she forgot how to feel and I was like oh I know what that feels <laughs> <That's me. laughs> I've gotten so old I don't know how to feel um. <laughs> Sarah when did you first see this film oh I must have been I mean honestly like I used to have IFC and like I would um just you know two o'clock in the morning be watching some pretty random things and I think that this was one of the random things that I saw and I remember even in the moment being like I'm pretty sure this is like a very queer and like very weird and very cool movie. But then I didn't really hear much about it. Like not a lot of people that I knew had seen it. So years later, of course, I discovered that, you know, it's this whole thing and everybody loves this movie. So I was excited to see it. I'm always excited to talk about this movie because it's great. It's so good. It's so, so good. Yeah, I love vampire shit, too. So I'm like, I I enjoy a good vampire. I'm always looking for, like, who's got a good twist on a vampire, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we've been doing them for, I don't even know, like, ever. (laughs) We've been talking about (laughs) vampires. We're like, oh, there's probably something out there that'll suck your blood around this fire. Stay close to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is one of those that it doesn't do like a ton different with the idea of vampires right like she needs blood to survive she's alive though she's not dead which i I like that like detail she's unaging which is you know pretty typical she doesn't glimmer in the sun so i'm sorry (laughs) for everyone who was hoping for that um but i think it still manages to be this like very quiet yet very violent yet very beautiful and romantic film. And I'm like, well, damn if I don't love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really happy for you whenever I found out that this was like the first time you had seen it. Because it's just immediately like, of course, Essie will love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like the Essie movie almost. Uh-huh. Um, as far as like a horror film goes, I feel like it pulls out all the stops. But yeah, it's definitely a very haunting movie, too. I think that there's a lot about the relationship between the two, right? Where it's just, I think almost all of us, and that's part of what is so maybe queer about it, but like also just like the outsider feeling of it is that you have a person who you kind of cling to, right? Whenever I'm, I know whenever I was young, like you always have like a friend who you're just like, you are the friend, right? (laughs) You're the one. (laughs) And then you're just like, I don't even know if I would call that like romantic, right? You were saying that romantic is a weird connotation for the movie. And it's like, well, yeah, because like, it is kind of weird (laughs) to look at it like that. But like, I would say that it's a very 
just true, right? It just feels true because it's like everybody has had a friend like that, I feel like, whenever they're young. Yeah, and I I mean, I use the term romance pretty loosely on this in the sense that it's like, it's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, sort of like a, an asexual relationship uh, between the two of them, you know, and it's like the fact that they're both 12 years old and sort of in that prepubescent kind of stage. But mm-hmm. I also like... I absolutely, like, was in love with all of my friends, you know, like, the sort of, and when you find that other person, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, like, a sexual relationship, or when you're just 12 years old, and you are in love with your friends, it Mm -hmm. is, like, so sweet, and I think that that, for me, was, like, ah, such, such a kicker. These two finding each other in this way of both being bullies and victims, you know, I think they're both, both of these things. Mm-hmm. And when Oscar asked her in an early scene, will you go steady with me? <laughs> will you go steady. Yeah, it's so cute. <laughs> I'm crying. And then, and then she's like, "Well, what would that mean?" And he yeah. says, "You'd be my girlfriend." And she says, "I'm not a girl." Yes. And I don't know if you all remember this, but there's actually a shot later where we see her lower half naked. Yes. And mm-hmm. she's she's clearly a, a trans girl. Yes. And I think of Oscar very much as like a gender nonconforming child. Like oh, yeah. I don't I don't know what his you know <laughs> we don't get to see what his gender journey is or, or might be, but it seems to me that it's unlikely that he's going to come to a very cis normative conclusion. Right. And so I kind of read it as a T for T love story, and that mm-hmm. that for me was I, I didn't know I was reading it as that. So when you were like, oh, there's a lot of gender stuff, you know, you never know what someone's going to say, like what that means. Like right. there's plenty of stuff I watched that like someone else would watch and be like, that's very cis hat, and I'd be like, no, that's the queer. <laughs> shit I've ever seen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't yeah, yeah. sure if this would be coding or explicit. And what I love about it is that it's both. And I think that's one of the reasons it's such a successful film. And there's so much tenderness and ferocity in, in each of the characters. And that I think is so human, you know, despite one of them being a vampire. Um, and I think that's that's such a I don't know. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I think I think a lot of queer people have been extremely bullied. Uh, you know, Oscar's situation is like even for extreme bullying, extreme, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of the toward well, yeah, toward the end of the film, um, he's almost killed by uh an older boy. And um I love, oh, but I love someone who is like super evil, but also like loves someone. I got Jennifer's body feels off of Let the Right One In a little bit, (laughs) you know, where I was like, I kind of feel like Jennifer is just like an older version of, and I've totally (laughs) forgotten her name. Ellie? Ellie, thank you. In a way, you know, where it's like. These are just, like, women who are very comfortable, or a woman and a girl who are very comfortable with, like, this transformation that's happened to them and and the the, the sort of, like, advantages and limitations thereof, even if they're not wholly happy with it. Like, I wouldn't say Ellie is like, yay, I'm a vampire. (laughs) You know, she's kind of like, I'm stuck at 12 forever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, that's a big struggle for her. And I will say before, like, when... The first time I watched it, I think early on, and I probably just love this in general, but sort of uh, androgynous young characters I'm always in love with, you know, and I love that the both of them are a little bit, you know, they're before before it's even discussed, just like as they are presented on the screen, it is it is there. You know, the subtext is pretty just 
is a lot yeah. of text. It's just there. Do you know what I mean? It's like subtext only is text. like kind of subtext. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, especially because Ellie says it twice, right? Ellie says it twice that like Ellie is not a girl. And the way that she says it so subtly, but also the way that like Oscar is very, he's like, okay, but can we still go steady or what? <laughs> just like, oh, that moment. I was just like, fine, Oscar, I love you. Oh, I know. Yeah, Oscar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, so cute. And it's like so pure. And I love, I love that about the two of them. And the interesting thing about Ellie also is like, Ellie also inherently evil, you know? Yeah. As a, an immortal, blood-sucking creature, she is technically pretty evil. But... And we She's watch so, her kill people, and we, we watch, watch her dad her kill, kill people. people to, like, get food for her, you know, right. you know dad figure. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there's, like, a lot of what we would traditionally be like, this is evil. Yeah. But I was so enamored also, you know, just with her, or just so, like, on her side. Because it oh, yeah. did, you know, absolutely on her side. In a way that, like, in with Marla, I think I wanted to be on Marla's side, but she really made it difficult for me. Whereas, like, Ellie, I was like... I'm on your side and like everything that's happening, I'm still on your side. Even the people you kill, unfortunately, they don't seem that interesting. So I just like, there's like, something yeah, cool. about even, you know what I mean? And the way that it's portrayed, it is a way, and it is sort of, it probably does, it does feel a little messed up to say out loud to be like, well, but she was like pretty cool. Um, but she <laughs> I was. I read she her was. as such a hero. She's such a hero in this film. Like as much as she has those, what we would call villainous qualities, as much as she is like, absolutely killing people you know she's tiny when she jumps on that woman's back and like starts you know consuming her blood a a male adult comes up and throws ali aside like it's nothing she doesn't have super strength you know she's not a a true blood vampire she's not a there's so many limitations she has and i think that 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 is such a clever choice by the creators to to give her some grotesque features but yeah. not sort of like the the superhuman that we often think of with vampires like she's not seducing anyone she's not uh you know trying to create an army of vampires she's just trying to survive and that I mean, is she's a heartbreaking which is i mean and that is that's also a lot of her backstory because you know she didn't choose to be a vampire um, and she didn't choose to be castrated. This was, you know, I do, sorry, I see, do you know the, her, her sort of origin story, which is only slightly touched upon in the movie? Like it's a little bit, it's, uh, you know, they sort of gloss over it a little bit in the movie, but the book describes how she became a vampire. And, you know, she's like hundreds of years old. Uh, she came from a poor peasant family and she was, I think, like kidnapped by like a nobleman, a really sadistic nobleman who castrated her and also made her a vampire because he was a pedophile. There's a lot of pedophilia in the book. And that's why she's trapped as a 12 year old. Um, And it's a really unfortunate story. It is. It's tough. It's a tough, it's a very, the book is very, very dark um, Mm -hmm. and very violent and very graphic. Also a really good book. Uh, But that whole part of her story, like in, in that one scene, you know, when she's undressing, they show it a little bit and she kind of talks about it. But I think, probably for for general movie audiences. I don't think they wanted to get too deep into that. You know, I think they really wanted to focus on just like the story of the of the two kids. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things where like that that uh you know what we omit also is really important in storytelling. So there's a way where you as the viewer are left like wondering like how could this have happened? Like what mm-hmm. would 
why would someone turn a child into a vampire? And and if I didn't even, I didn't come to those conclusions, uh, the specific ones, but it didn't seem like a good thing is what I'll say. No right. part of me was like, some nice vampire turned her into a vampire for good reasons, you know? Right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem likely. Um, Probably not. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's so heartbreaking. It's really dark. But even, even without knowing that, you, again, you know, like, a 12-year-old vampire, that's not, like, a chill thing, you know? Like, you don't have to know the whole story to know that, like, whatever her origin is, it comes from sort of a tragic, really sad, terrible beginning. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just that part of her friendship with Oscar is not telling him about that, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, kind of a thing... I think sometimes with your friends, if you go through a bunch of shit, is to be like, we don't have to talk about it right now. <laughs> like, don't worry yeah. about it, Oscar. Yeah. And Oscar's acceptance of her just all mm-hmm. around, also of her just being a vampire. <laughs> is yeah. Like, he figures he it out so it. well. I like, love that. You know, that's so cute. And he doesn't come at her with a stake or a cross right. or like the things that we often see, even when there's a. a <laughs> reconciliatory moment after like Oscar's like no come into my house without permission I want to see what happens he's curious you know he's not like I want to control you I want to own you I want to hurt you he's like I want to know more about this this is kind of incredible and that's like of course that's why they're in love because it's like Mm -hmm. you love the people that like see you as you are and let you be that you know um, mm-hmm. and who's totally. also own, who's like weirdness matches your own weirdness. Cause Oscar, mm-hmm. we can talk about Oscar. He has, uh, you know, aside from being like, he's definitely, they portray him as a real serial killer in the making, you know, like, he's <laughs> like his first line in the film is like squeal, squeal like a pig. And you're just yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, like I don't oh, even am I see watching a kid childhood yet? of a leader. Or, <laughs> or just, oh, no, no, sorry. This is no. just let the right one in. It's fine. Yeah. And he's, Stabbing that tree, and you're like, "Oh, this kid is disturbed." But, but he's also hurt, right? Yes. Which is like something that's very interesting. I think about him, and then also the way that they do befriend one another is—it's like the thing that we talk about really regularly, actually, on this podcast among characters that have lived through significant trauma that end up finding each other. We talk about it with uh, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like two people going through trauma and then becoming friends. It's like it doesn't, you know, you there's all kinds of people who make all kinds of friends, but there's always something a little bit special about being like, oh, I don't really have to lie or like, you know, spare you of, like, something terrible that's happened to me because I know it's happened to you, too, right? Totally. Like, you hurt like I hurt. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, I mean, here I think is portrayed very positively, and I think in a lot of our lives it can be a really positive thing. So I I like that about it, too. Yeah, it does seem like they find a lot of of comfort and and healing together. And, And I think, you know, in contrast to I Care A Lot, the ending of Let the Right One In is incredibly hopeful. You know, we mm-hmm. see, um, you know, uh, spoiler alert, this movie from 20, 2008, I mean. <laughs> like, it's cool. We don't have the spoiler 2008? alert. 2008. 2008. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest year ever. I have no idea why I would say that. But um, it uh, wasn't the greatest year ever. 
But, uh, you know, he is being held underwater in a pool. I think maybe the reason part of the, the like, connection with Jennifer's body is, like, that big scene in the pool was like, yes. imprinted on my mind. And <laughs> yeah. so, like, is Jennifer's yeah. body, like, yeah, yeah. toasting this? Like, is that a reference? I don't know. No, see, I like this more than I like the scene in Jennifer's body because this one ends with them realizing how much they rely on each other. It's so Whereas <laughs> in Jennifer's body... <laughs> Jennifer's body Different just happened happen. to be made in the U.S. So they had yeah. to, they had to yeah. have like, the they succubus hate each pay. other. Yeah. Right, like, right. Like, no, she they wants to wife her. They want to wife each other. This is bullshit. Let right. it happen. Be <laughs> the More demon murder wife. girlfriends. More murder girlfriends. Murder girlfriend, demon wife. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what this movie really gives us in a way. Yes, it <laughs> yes. does. Murder girl. You know, both so, movies were murder girlfriends mm, for sure. That's true. Yeah. Ugh. That Demon scene wife, where yeah. they're like, you know, it's after Alias has protected Oscar and they're, um, you know, you kind of like don't know what's going to happen. Like he was in a, a pool with four boys and they're all dead now. Like, <laughs> What's going to happen to Oscar? <laughs> that's a great. By the, just a great like murder scene by the oh way. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah, a little bit off screen, but you can tell it's happening. And then also the audio of being underwater, you know, like it, yeah. and just Oscar's eyes being closed the whole time is oh so beautiful, like such so good, such a good looking scene. Yeah, and when they do show the bodies, it's so zoomed out, and then you've got the one, mm-hmm. like the one, the kid, one crying. kid who's crying, which was the kid who didn't like being a bully but still was the bully, you yeah. know? Like he's there crying, and you're just like, "What the fuck's gonna happen?" And then it cuts to that train scene, and mm-hmm. and you, oh my god, we didn't even talk about the Morse code. Oh like, my god, they both the Morse learn code. Morse code so they can like communicate through the walls of their apartment, and then and then he's on the train, and he's got like a little box that his feet you're like no where's Ailey and then he like does his Morse code on the box and she replies (laughs) oh I'm gonna cry I loved it so much no yeah I think the yeah I think that's also such another a fun little thing is that you know when you when you're with somebody in that way you have your own language and I think to show that as like in this particular instance as like Morse code is like the way that they communicate you know the way they sort of like secretly communicate is just so fucking adorable <laughs> like so adorable and yeah the positive the sort of like uplifting ending <laughs> that like ellie got to live and she found sort of a new caretaker um to sort of be her human friend in the world um and uh i will also note you guys that this is uh very positive because the original book uh, ends there, but then there's a follow-up kind of short story that's about the two of them where Oscar is older and they're still together. So, <laughs> yeah, You know even, what that kind of made me fiction. wonder? Is in Crying. the book, do they get into her like parental figure at all? Like, is like, do we know more about him in the book? Because in the film, he's oh, just like Hawken? there. Yeah. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, uh, Hawken is a pedophile. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> Son of a... Did you... I, did I? I'm interested. Did you glean any of that from the movie? Like, no, I didn't. But now that you say it, I'm like, okay, I can. Because there is a weird vibe between them, right? Where it's like a weird he's vibe. keeping her alive, but she doesn't like him, right? And 
but then like you know when the way that he you know sacrifices you know he he burns his face off with acid so when he gets caught by the cops they can't identify him that kind of felt like a weird reversal and i'm you know and i know there's like layers to pedophilia that are like yeah i don't want to talk about <laughs> i don't fucking care <laughs> it is a yeah he's a real in the movie he's he's a real like renfield type character right like a little yes. bit of like a slave to mm. the vampire uh while also like taking care of it and having this sort of symbiotic relationship uh and what he's getting out of it uh in the book he is definitely a pedophile and he's Ugh. sort of like you know looking for young boys and um but uh Ellie comes across him first and sort of they kind of you know have this again a, a weird very uncomfortable symbiotic relationship you know um where like he's sort of able to get off sexually with her you know in the book in a way sort of have this young this forever young person in his life um uh, but she also gets to feed gets someone to murder and feed her all the time you know murder for Ooh, her that's gross it is very very gross <laughs> i feel very good about his death now i'm like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right no more sympathy there. Yeah. interesting sacrificial death right uh, yeah yeah beautifully shot again like a very beautiful film yeah oh and i mean and of course because pedophilia is very uncomfortable to talk about and to watch and to even try to work into a story every time i'm like do we need that in the story is this like a thing i think the decision to take that part sort of out of the movie was because it reading certain interviews with the director and the um, screenwriter who also wrote the book was you know they didn't it was too too many heavy things going on like they didn't want to you know sort of they wanted to have a much simpler cleaner story which is like it's easy to expand that stuff in fiction but in a movie i understood and i'm glad for it i'm i'm glad that that was even though it was like kind of gleaned and a little weird um i don't know if i needed that i don't need that actually like i don't i don't need that in this movie it it seems like story relevant. I the, the I mean I never want to read anything with pedophilia in it or see anything. I'm just like mm-hmm. this is not something I need in my life. But there has to be a reason. There's a 12 year old vampire, right? Like you can't just right. be like yeah. there's a 12 year old vampire for yeah, no yeah. reason. So yeah. it does seem story relevant in a way where I'm willing to tolerate it like a little bit more for that sake. But right. I do think the film did not didn't suffer in any way by not having that. Yes. I think the trauma is so Oscar's trauma takes place on screen. And so it kind of stands in for Ailey's trauma. We don't have to see her go through that because we're watching someone else be traumatized. Right. And so then you get this person who is also traumatized come in and be able to, like Sarah was saying, heal through this new relationship with another person who's been through trauma. Yeah. Um, I think that you can absolutely glean that just from the way Ellie reacts to Oscar and reacts to his bullies, you know, because like, you can also tell in Ellie, like, you know, she is, you know, she's both she is both a bully and a victim. Um, mm-hmm. But you can tell sort of through her trauma, she has sort of had to learn to stand up for herself. You know, obviously she's, you know, you sort of get the idea that she's escaped from whatever she's escaped before, because there are a lot of scenes where she's also like very powerful, you know, especially yes. in the way that she deals with Hawkins. Like she's kind of mean to him. <laughs> she's yes. kind of mean and bosses him around. Um but you can see that there is like a power in her. You can see her power plays. You can see uh, in that very first scene that she appears, I think, on the playground. Um, and it's so such a small thing, but the way she jumps off of that jungle gym mm-hmm. thing, it just very a smooth jump to the ground. There was something about that. I was like, oh, you're in charge. 
You were. Mm -hmm. You are always in charge. Yeah, I think like I care a lot, there's a lot of these playing with the suppositions of the audience, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you, when we watch films, we read stories, we're looking for someone we who who stands in for us right like who would i be in this story yeah and it's like both of them sort of refuse your under like they refuse to give you that easy answer right because like yeah if you identify with oscar you're also kind of identifying with someone who is not okay you know <laughs> like that person like you said is a a serial killer in the making yeah <laughs> like, he's yes, not he okay is. which is gonna work out great for Ailey, truly <laughs> 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 just made that connection i'm like you know what never mind it's great <laughs> <laughs> right it does it absolutely makes sense for her But they, like, definitely are, like, but I think that, yeah, they definitely set it up so that it would be okay for Ellie. You know, just sort of, like, listen, Oscar isn't that innocent. He's, like, cutting out clippings of murders. He's, like, like doing his, like, knife play all the time. He starts, like, he's taking weight training classes. You know, he's, like, (laughs) he is definitely moving towards death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's. They're just both such interesting films, and I, I love the way that we've talked about. I mean, Sarah's absolutely right. It, it is queer villains, but it's also queer villains, like <laughs> villains. You know, it's like, that. That's what makes it so fascinating. You know, like aliens, because right. it's also like queer villains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is someone still a villain if they wear a really nice pantsuit? Like, mm. oh man, that was. I was like. I love all of these power suits. Your pantsuits. Oh, they torture me still. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would say let the right one in. Not as invested in fashion. <laughs> True. True. Cool. Still had a good look Creepy. to had a, the movie. Yeah, had a good look because definitely, I mean, I also, I like when kids look like kids, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's nice and, that they're not like 17-year-olds playing 12-year-olds. Yeah. Right. No, totally. No pantsuits. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no absolutely. Pantsuits. I love the sort of, you know, small town, small town vibes in the winter. Everyone's sort of loosely in coats, which like I can't tell how cold it is because like a bunch yes. of people don't have their jackets zipped up. <laughs> Yes. And I was like, is yeah. it cold? Yeah. Is it not cold? I need you to tell me. But still also good colors. Like the red the blood mm-hmm. red was always like a real strong vibes. Ellie's eyes is a big deal. I think there's a lot of Ugh. maybe I'm just noticing because I watched both of them so close together. I was like, oh, a lot of like close up shots of like like intense looking, uh, like intense stares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 fun. I, I you know, I don't think these are a pair of films that everyone would compare <laughs> on, their, on their podcast. Um, <laughs> but I really found that watching and I watched Let the Right One In and then I watched I Care A Lot. There were so many things that clicked for me about each of them as I sort of thought about them in, in conversation with one another. Yeah. And I think it's it's so nice that, you know. I have lots of complicated feelings about Marla's death at the end of I Care A Lot. But I really love that at the end of Let the Right One In, the kids get away, you know? Like, I live. really want that for them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're like, kiss. Yeah, yes. it's so cute. Yeah. Oh, that was so sweet. It was like, I can't believe, I mean, I say this all the time about horror movies that I really like, but I'm like, that was so cute. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> like, really so cute. Sweet. It was like the sweetest, cutest vampire movie. <laughs> the part that made me be like, am I a monster? Is when she had to kill that guy who was coming into her house to kill her. And so like she has blood all over her lips and then she kisses Oscar. I was like, that's real cute. And then he's got blood on his mouth. <laughs> 
I'm like, is it cute? Am I being a monster here? I don't know, but I love it is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, come on. When she kills the bullies in the pool, we were all there. We were all like, that fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> Kill those bullies. <laughs> yeah, it did rule. And just for Oscar, who's like so isolated and so alone and... Like, even his relationships with his parents are so tenuous, you know? It's right, just right. to have someone who really cares about him, right? Because she's left at this point. She's like, I have to leave or I'll die. Yeah. And the second there's a serious threat to him, she's like, well, fuck that. <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> baby. I got you. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Did you guys wonder how he carried that box onto the train or <laughs> Like, logically, I was like, how is this 12-year-old boy pushing this, like, uh, this, like, human-sized, like, luggage onto the train? Is someone helping him? These are things I don't have to think about, but I'm just like... (laughs) I was like, is no one going to ask about the human-sized box traveling with a 12-year-old child by himself? Like, that was my moment. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, just by himself. I mean, I'm glad for him. I want this for him. Maybe it's a midnight train, so she walks on, and then, like, she gets in the box. I don't know. Yeah, and then is is it, like, is he gonna, is he going to get a job now? <laughs> <laughs> like, is he gonna try and kill people? He's, like, so little. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna be great at it. <laughs> uh, that would be a fun sequel. It's just them, like, Oscar at the age of 13. <laughs> I, I kind of see it like a what, like a like a a Fargo kind of like uh, like oh a, yeah, a, almost like a buddy cop, but they can't quite figure out how to kill people. They're like, oh no, he's bleeding everywhere. Oh god, they're not gonna let me make that movie, but that's the sequel I would make. That is the sequel that we need. I need to know how this prepubescent, like like you know, preteen boy is gonna take care of this like hundred year old vampire. <laughs> oh man. Oh, good stuff. That's the only plot hole. (laughs) We're like, we need more information. (laughs) They're like, the film's over. Just stop asking. (laughs) Um, I never saw the American remake. Did you all see it? Yes. What'd you Mm -hmm. think? Sarah, did you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's even less like the book, right? It's even less, yes. Even less like this movie. uh, You could just watch this one, honestly. Like the 2008 one is what you need, I think. Right. Yeah, I agree. You don't have to watch the remake. I think it's fine to watch at least once. You know, if you're a fan, you want to just keep watching this story in a different, Mm -hmm. in a, you know, different version of the story. Um, with a bigger budget, right? With like a yeah, enormous American Hollywood budget. Absolutely. And yeah, if you and it's such a prime example of the way Hollywood remakes movies because it's it does feel like it takes all the queerness out of the original which already sort of mm-hmm. sort of was taken a little bit out of the book. It is very shiny CGI. It's very straight. <laughs> yeah. Um more moral like there seems like more of a like a morality to yeah it as well. absolutely We're just yeah. kind of like well yes uh it's definitely less quiet even though a lot of the shots seem very like shot for shot where it was like oh so you do you just mm-hmm. watch the other movie but then just took you know what i mean <laughs> like it's definitely like oh so you have seen the first one i don't know why you wanted to make this again um right <laughs> I will say it's not the worst remake I've seen, you know. I, right. I did find it. I feel at least that they did stay 
somewhat true to the story of the relationship between the two. Although in the new movie, in the remake, uh, they rename her to Abby, which is like, I thought was weird. I was like, they could have just kept the name Ellie, you know, or something more, whatever. But I don't know why they, I mean, I know why they (laughs) changed it to Abby. (laughs) Uh, But it was, yeah, I don't know. It was fine. It's not, it's whatever. That's my review. It's whatever. (laughs) Just fine, thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. saw it. Don't need to watch it again. I'm reading the Wikipedia <laughs> no, description. No more water for me. I'm about to leave. Like, <laughs> I'm packing up. Not again. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, what good movies. I'm so glad that, I mean, thank you for being here. It is like such an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I love, love, a, love a film lover. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And I didn't think that these two movies made sense when I accidentally said them together. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, no, these two, this should always be the double feature when I tell people, like, you have to watch Let the Right One In and then I care a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, unlikely double feature, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you can, there are so many, par- if you really think about it, there are a lot of parallels. You could really see it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so where can people find you online if you want them to find you? <laughs> I do. Please come find me on the internet. Um, I'm on Twitter at Tuyetwen. Uh, I am on Instagram at the Tuyetwen. Um, Also, please, uh, I don't want to say please listen to my podcast, but you can also listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Please listen to the podcast. Tell us the name again. <laughs> where can Please we find listen it? to any podcast. It is uh, Bunk237. You can find us on Twitter at Bunk237 or on Instagram at Bunk237pod. But you can find us like this podcast wherever you find them, just out in the world. You know, you know where to find stuff. Yes. And also, I'm about to be on talking about 30 Days of Night yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Topical, great timing. Uh, yes, (laughs) if you love Sarah's entry like we do, please listen to ours. She's gonna be on talking about 30 days a night. Uh, we're gonna we talk more vampires, uh, different outfits, um, different uh, outfits, different outfits. Yeah, much straighter, yeah, much straighter, very, very straight. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of they should have been more gay in 30 days. The gayest part was me watching it. When vampires aren't queer, I'm like, listen, what are you doing? That's exactly how I feel. Like, I think all vampires (laughs) are queer, right? Like, they're all right. Like, I mean, that's just accepted. I don't understand why that's not in every single vampire movie. Your podcast also, you have a co-host. Her name is Robin Zlotnick, (laughs) who is delightful. She is delightful. I was going to concur with (laughs) what you said. (laughs) A delight. I hope Robin's listening to this because I love talking to Robin. Robin and I are new friends. We, I mean, we knew each other before because I'm friends with her husband. Uh, but it was actually through us doing this podcast that we've really solidified our friendship. And she is such a great person to talk horror with. She's, uh, mm-hmm. we both sort of have similar tastes in horrors, but also, uh, I think sort of overlapping viewpoints, but also we, we love laughing. <laughs> We love laughing. I don't know how to say that in a more fun or like uh, in a more serious way or in a way that like makes you want to listen to me. But wow, do I love laughing. 
I love yeah, laughing. <laughs> I feel like I'm always trying to like convince people of that with the pod too. I'm like, it's not just me laughing, but I am the laugh track. Like, <laughs> that's my job here. You know, Sarah yeah, says crazy me. things yeah. and I just like yes. laugh my ass off and I like have to like lay down. I'm like, Sarah, wait, we can't keep recording. I have to like calm yeah. down. <laughs> totally. It makes me really happy because I gen- I just talk and I don't always know which parts are funny. <laughs> so whenever you laugh, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah also like has no idea how to segue. So she'll just be like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's so funny. <laughs> my willful uh, awkwardness, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, we're in the next place now. <laughs> art. It is art. You all, saw, you heard it at the beginning of the episode, friends. <laughs> I like dropped something and was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tiet, you are, you are so cool. This was so much fun. Uh, we will definitely have to do a more comic booky episode sometime soon. But this was, this is exactly what I needed personally. It was just to like watch two really great films and think too hard about them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I needed to do some reaching, some like projecting of myself onto characters. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I also, one of my absolute favorite things to do is to think too hard about stuff. So like <laughs> any time. And I would love to come back anytime <laughs> to talk about the comic books that I forgot that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. If someone asked me what comic books to read, I'm like, like right. I don't, uh, what? What? Yeah. And then I'm like, go listen to my podcast. Bye. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, that's not a really a sales pitch. I'm like, isn't it though? <laughs> Stop asking me questions. Go listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. How to make friends and influence people. Be a dick about your podcast. <laughs> All right. Thank you, listeners. We love you and we'll be back soon. Hey, listeners, thanks for being with us here today. Maybe you don't know, but Sarah and I actually run a whole host of projects. This is Essie. Hopefully you know my voice because I probably introduced myself in this episode, but who knows? Mm, better do and, it again. Yeah, why not? And we actually have a publishing house called Queerspec. You can always go check it out. It's at queerspec.com. And that's where we host this podcast, Bitches on Comics, another cool podcast we're working on called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. If you want to know more, go to queerspec.com. And we have this very cool project called Decoded Pride. Decoded Pride is our story-a-day anthology of LGBTQ stories by LGBTQ creators. We are selling it because we're an independent series of projects. So everything that we fund, we fund ourselves. So that means that Sarah and I are out here hustling as freelancers. We're making money and sending it right into our other projects. And also eating sometimes. Sometimes. Mm, ramen. Mm, delicious. So Dakota Pride is amazing. I mean, we have so many stories by so many diverse voices. We have so many gender variant authors that we're publishing. We've got comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, the whole shebang. And if you order right now, you can get our pre-order price. And you can just go check us out at dakotapride.com. Go buy a subscription right now. Pre-order it. We want you to be with us reading these stories and helping prove there's an audience for queer stories by queer creators. We 
are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you, and let's make season two even more memorable together.